This episode of the Better Every Shift podcast is sponsored by L3 Harris Technologies. When the heat is on, you go all in, and L3 Harris will be right there with you. The XL Extreme 400P radio is tailor-made to meet the most rigorous fire standards. Learn more at www.l3harris.com forward slash fire. Now let's get into the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Better Every Shift podcast. My name is Aaron Zamzow. Over next to me and behind me, around me is my co-captain, Janelle Fasquette, who is the editor-in-chief of Fire Rescue One. And um, today we we have a very, very special guest. We have Chief Ron Sarnicky from the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. Uh, welcome, Chief, by the way. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to sharing a few things and just just having some discussion today. Well, we're very fortunate to have you. And before we get too far into it, I, you know, I do a little bit of a bio, but most people in the fire service know who you are. Um, you, you've been working with the foundation for over 20 years. You handle the day-to-day operations, uh, the National Memorial Services. Um, you've overseen the National Memorial Park construction, renovations for the Fallen Firefighters Memorial Chapel. Uh, you've also been a catalyst for developing the Everyone Goes Home program, which we'll talk about. has been very pivotal in helping the fire service and uh, and also now the, the First Responder Center for Excellence. And you've been doing this for more than 20 years and you are going to retire, but you're not going to be gone. Um, it's um, It all started, though, uh, right before a pretty um, a memorable experience that we've all had in the fire service, correct? It started in July. You started in July of, of 20, 2001. One, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what's it, what's it been like for you 20 plus years heading the foundation? So it's been a roller coaster to say the least, but it's been a truly phenomenal experience. Uh, for me, I just finished a career at Prince George's. I served there for 24 years and, uh, retired as chief of the department. And I, then I thought, well, you know, maybe um, once you've been chief, you know, you don't necessarily go back to doing that. You look for other things. And so I, I thought maybe I'll try the nonprofit world a little bit, you know, slow down, you know, learn to play <laughs> golf, you know, do the fundraising events and social events and all those things that uh, I thought was in the fundraising nonprofit world. And so I took the job at the foundation. And as you said, started July 1st. And just a couple months later, uh, 9-11 hit and everything changed. Completely um, off the rails, different approach, the need for resources, the need for support, the need for interventions and help at FDNY. And that just became a catalyst for change. And it's been a great journey. I have no regrets. I I love what I do. I appreciate all the people that have helped get me here to to, to be here, our great staff, our board of directors, our partners. But also we all get to a point where, you know, it's it's time to turn the keys over to somebody else. Hope that they don't wreck the car in the process. (laughs) No guarantees. To, to find, you know, what the next m- milestone for me is going to be. What What's the next steps for Ron? And I'm hoping that uh, I'll find that as I go through this process of hiring my replacement. But but also, you know, I, I firmly believe that when one door closes, another one opens. Yeah. And I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm going to have to finally decide what I'm going to do when I grow up. that's going to happen at the end of this year. So don't grow up. Yeah. Don't grow up. That's the number one thing. Yeah. We'll dig in a little bit more about where, what's next for you, but I want to, I want to go back just a little bit. You know, you mentioned nine 11. I I can't even imagine what that must've been like to, to be at the foundation, you know, for two months and have the biggest fire service event in history occur with the greatest loss of life. 
and you are now heading the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. And that event really changed the whole mission of the the foundation. Can you can you speak a little bit about that and kind of how that took it in a, in a new direction? So absolutely. You know, I, I to this day I remember where I was, where I was standing uh, when the the planes hit the towers, and our offices in Emmitsburg were in E Building, which is one of the many buildings on campus at the National Fire Academy. And we just had a small room with three desks and we shared a conference room. And I was in the office talking to the staff. And, and as you said, I've only been there two months. So I'm there eight weeks. I'm the new guy, you know, full of energy, trying to figure out what's going on, where everything is. And, and, and I'm standing there talking to the staff and I'm leaning against a file cabinet. And there's a, a small TV on the cabinet that had the news on. And, and that's when they broke and showed um, the, the tower burning and then the second plane hitting. And immediately I knew that there were firefighters in that building that, that obviously with that amount of devastation, there was going to be firefighter deaths and injuries. And so I, I just looked at the staff and said, you know, what has been our role when multiple firefighter fatalities occur? And, and what has been our process to be involved? And back then, the foundation would normally not reach out to the department till weeks after the death, just to say, hey, we're here, we've got some programming, because we didn't have last teams, and we didn't have the support network, and we didn't have peer counselors and intervention and all those programs. And I said to myself, we need to be ready. We need to think differently. And we need to put a plan together on the largest memorial service that would hit the foundation. Because back then we were at, you know, 110, 120 firefighter deaths a year. And then we're going to jump up and add all of 9-11. It's going to change what happens on campus. So I, I talked to the staff. We talked to the Federation of Fire Chaplains. We talked to the honor guard groups. Just to start saying, what is it we're going to do in July for that October? Because even though those people that died in July would be honored the next year, we knew that there would be a massive attention to 9-11 that, that October. So as we were pulling together some ideas, we took a break to go to lunch. And at that time, Ken Burris was the chief operating officer of the fire administration. And when I was in the dining hall, if I saw him, I'd sit with him and we'd, we'd chat. And I was telling him that we were putting together some ideas of how we would address support as a result of the devastation in line 11. What I didn't know was that evening, Ken Burris was on a jet with FEMA director, Joe Albaugh, flying to New York for FEMA to do their intervention and support. What I didn't know was that Ken had relayed to, to Joe that conversation that he and I had, and that we were looking at some of those resources might be needed. And Joe Albaugh said, that's great. I want them all here tomorrow. And that's literally how that decision got made at the federal level. So Ken calls me from New York and says, look, put a team together. The, the FEMA administrator wants you in New York City tomorrow. So I did what any chief would do. I called the people I knew, Prince George's, Washington, D.C., uh, Montgomery County, Fairfax, the departments in the Washington area, and said, hey, look, guys, I don't have any money. I need people, I need cars, I need cell phones, and I just need no questions asked. We're going to New York to see if we can help. And every one of those departments said, no problem, whatever you need. Mm -hmm. And so we put a, a group together of individuals, and the next day we drove up to New York. Uh, by that time, uh, Joe Albaugh had made arrangements through the administration to create a family assistance section within the FEMA model. And we became part of the FEMA disaster plan. First time ever 
and uh, we were assigned that task to work with the counseling services unit, which is the behavioral health group within FDNY, and provide that support resources. And that's where we met Malky Corrigan and Frank Lito, uh, Dr. Kelly, Dr. Prezant, all those names that you've heard over the years who've been engaged in those activities. Sal Casano became a great friend as the chief of department, Father Delendick, the one of the chaplains. And so we just were there to provide support and assistance. Uh, we ran a chapel group that came through. We ran peer support with the IFF, bringing peer support teams in from around the country. And we took over the uh, New York uh, Sheridan Towers Hotel, two floors. And we were there for 17 weeks. Set up a command center, you know, ran it like an incident and uh, sectored it and grouped it and, and just brought people in. They went to the POW. They went to the landfill where they were looking for, for remains. They went, uh, dealt with the funerals and we just did whatever needed to be done. You know, the typical, we're the fire department, we're here to help, tell us what you need and, and we'll make it happen. Yeah. And that's really the, the, the start of so many programs. I mentioned the last teams, local assistant state teams, having somebody in each state in, in, in our country who can be on the ground within five hours of a reported line of duty death. That's where that concept came from. The, the behavioral health program that uh, Frank Lito at the counseling services unit had uh, working with the IFF uh, became part of our behavioral health network. And uh, the curbside manner, stress first aid, all came out of that, that experience in, in New York. And then family assistance, uh, having people serve as liaisons to provide that support, uh, the escort program, all, all those pieces that uh, are now commonplace when any line of duty death occurs and tied to the memorial service have all developed from the experiences we learned in New York. And what's interesting, when we, when, when we went to the next one, which was Charleston, and then we went to Prescott, and then we went to West. We took the lessons learned from the previous to that city and then fine-tuned them, developed more additional pieces that made the experience for the family, the departments, and the community more tolerable, and just built one after another after another to where we are today. And and that's, you know, doing take care of our own training, uh, breaking off behavioral health and some of the others for the first responder center so that that can be delivered to our counterparts in law enforcement and EMS. And a lot of the things that are everyday deliverables came from the tragedy of 9-11. Which really started, as you said, the mindset was we need to honor those that we lost. And as, as all of a sudden your involvement grew and the, and the, the foundation's involvement grew, you know, there's a story that you went to New York and you had a credit card with a small limit on it. And <laughs> so, so to finish that story, um, you're absolutely right. When we went to New York, you know, we had fire department vehicles from those departments. We had portable radios, but we didn't have a communication system. And what we found we needed was cell phones. And so I went into a Verizon store, told them who we were, what we we're doing and said, I don't, you know, I got a $5,000 credit limit on my, my foundation card. And the guy says, don't worry about it. And he just gave us phones and said, we'll figure all this out. But as we began to need lodging to bring these teams in and stuff, I knew that we were going to max our credit limit. <laughs> so I, I, as, as a chief, you're thinking, who do you know? And right. when the person I knew was Luther Fincher, who was the chief of Charlotte and Bank of America is headquartered in Charlotte. So I called Luther up and said, Luther, here's my deal. I got a credit card for 5,000 bucks. I'm in the middle of a response to support FDNY. What can you do? He says, call me back in 45 minutes. I call him back. He said, no problem. You have an unlimited credit account. Don't worry about it. It's like, my goodness. And that's how we funded that first couple of months until FEMA brought some resources in to back fund that. But 
that's the power of the relationships of the fire service community. And yeah. I, I'll never forget that. I, that. And it's just one of those, it's one of those stories people just, you know, say, Dad, that didn't happen. Trust me, it truly did. Yeah. One phone call, he made a call, done. But but the world was committed to help for 9-11 too. People were looking for ways to do something to help. And I just happened to hit the right cycle there with, with Bank of America. Yeah. So we've always been appreciative of that. Yeah. And and then let's take it a step further. So you had also said, hey, because of this, we're going to need a bigger memorial. We're going to need, you know, uh, additional funds for this. And from that, just reading some of the things that you've written in the past, is is that kind of where someone said, well, okay, that's great. But why why are we just funding the memorial? What about like keeping them out of that memorial, right? Like, how Absolutely. do we do that? And so what was that conversation like and what went on in your head then when you heard kind of that question? Well, the truth is that when we finally realized it was going to be 343 FDNY members and 99 other firefighters who died that year, uh, we were faced with the fact that we were running out of room at the memorial. Mm-hmm. And so the first outcry was, we need to build a bigger memorial. And we did that. But we also said, wouldn't it serve the families better if, if we never had to honor the firefighter, if they didn't die? And so that was the catalyst to take on firefighter reduction of injuries and deaths. And that really was the, the birth of Everyone Goes Home and the 16 Long Safety Initiatives and the question really was, was the fire service ready to take firefighter safety seriously? And, you know, I've been in, in the industry for then, you know, 25, 26 years. And there are some departments that talk safety, but really don't have the best practices. And, you know, we were, we were killing 110, 120 firefighters a year. And the majority of them then were vehicle accidents and, you know, uh, failure to wear seatbelts and, you know, being in the wrong place and maybe not even being where they should be and all those other elements. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those deaths were preventable. And, and we proved that with the reductions with the initiatives. We went from 110 to 120 a year. We were down in the 70s uh, with the number of line of duty deaths a year just through those efforts of everyone embracing the 16 initiatives and the work that was critical to find ways to improve the survivability of our industry. Yeah. And now that's kind of branched into what the FRC is doing. We had the 16 life, uh, initiative life safety initiatives from Tampa, right. Tampa one. Right. And then now we're, you know, you obviously said, hey, we maybe are are missing the boat on something. So with the creation of FRCE, we bring in cancer, um, mental health, and, and fitness and wellness, correct? And, and that kind of completes that? That is. And, and it, it was two things that drove uh, the decision for the FRCE. When we did Tampa 1, cancer was there, but it just hadn't, it hasn't risen to a level of attention that it should have been. Mm-hmm. And I think you know the, the the World Trade Center disease work helped get people to acknowledge cancer. Yeah, the it data wasn't there yet, right? The data really wasn't there yet, right? Yeah, and, and cancer was there. Cancer was present, but the recognition and, and and the efforts to tie it back to our industry, and so you had that going on, and then the behavioral health piece that came out of nine eleven with stress first aid, curbside banner, were really cutting edge programs that actually developed in the military. And the, 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 the lady that created that for uh, the military <clears throat> agreed to convert it to fire. Okay. And we began teaching that across the country. And it's funny because it was Eric's giblets, the, 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 uh, superintendent of the fire academy who was the uh, who was the state training director out west said 
I have a joint public safety academy and I'm teaching stress first aid and curbside manner to the fireside, but the law enforcement brothers and sisters want it too. And our mission for the foundation is to support the fire service. Mm -hmm. That's the congressional mandate. So we said, okay, we've got to figure out how to do this. And so creating an affiliate allowed us to maintain all of that content that we built because you always want to make sure it stays wholesome and it doesn't get cut up and chopped up and split off and become something different than what it was intended. Yeah. We could meet the needs of law enforcement and EMS by having the FRCE provide that. And then when the cancer became, you know, really prevalent within our industry, that was an obvious place to, to provide more outreach through the FRCE. And so they, they took on behavioral health, cancer, and then just like in the fire service, cardiac is a critical issue yes. within EMS and law enforcement. So they have that as part of their um, mission statements, those three areas. And then now, of course, the current trend is to deal with suicides. Mm -hmm. and we're doing that for fire. FRCE is doing that for law enforcement and EMS. And so we're, we're going to see the development of programs, support and assistance for suicide related incidents, just like we did for the other ones. So there, yeah. there's a, a lot of moving parts there. You know, and I'm just wondering too about you personally, we talked about the mindset and the shift within the organization and within the foundation, but for you personally coming in, 9-11 happens, so much changes about the mission. What was that like for you trying to figure out your place and your role in making those transitions happen? And then, you know, 20 years later, these changes were you're just mentioning, like the evolution has been amazing when you think about where it was and where it is now. What's the, like the, what's that like for you personally? It, it's been very gratifying to have been where I've been for the last 21 years. And I guess because in reality, I'm a builder. I'm a person that wants to take something and improve it. You know, I did that in my career in the fire service and Prince George's with some, you know, innovative ideas and some changes. I was actually the one that changed the name from PGFD to Prince George's County Fire and EMS Department, you know, those kind of things that, that needed to be done. And I was willing to take them on. And yeah, you get some battle scars along the way. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Change the patch. Oh, my goodness. You know, but um, that's an accomplishment right there. You could have stopped your whole career. Some fire chiefs can't get that, you know. The Prince George's, they, absolutely. But that was a great organization and uh, they, they, they've come a long way. And it's good to see what they've done. You know, I had the advantage of building uh, Jack Cancook Stadium when I was there. I ran the team that put that whole public safety plan together when, when that stadium uh, was created for the Washington team. Uh, but just projects like that have been something I've always done. So for me, obviously seeing the foundation on day one of July 1 with five staff and then hitting 9-11 to where we are now with you know, 28 staff and a slew of contractors and other support volunteer components within our industry, the, the people that help us with the Memorial Weekend, it's it's grown exponentially because of that building piece. Mm -hmm. and, and so uh, the programs that I've talked about with behavioral health and you know, our cancer interventions, the FRCE, that's just, that's just, who, that's just who I am. And I think that all comes back from <clears throat> something my parents always said. You know, if, if you find something, you need to leave it better when you leave than how you found it. And that was something that my mom and dad instilled in, in my whole family. And to this day, that's, you know, part of the reason of joining the fire service 
My mom and dad were both involved. My dad was a charter member of the, the volunteer department in our community. My mom was a charter member of the auxiliary, you know, the traditional volunteer fire service family. Grew up in fire station, was there almost every day. Uh, but but it isn't just, you know, riding the rigs and, and that. It's the community service. It's the outreach. It's the support. And most of all, it's helping when things aren't the best in somebody's life. And that's what the fire service is really about. You mentioned uh, leaving it better than, than, than you found it or when you got into it. I think that's obviously what's been your passion over these years. But is there a particular story uh, that, that you will take with you through retirement that, you know, maybe got you through some of these hard times it, it, maybe it's an individual family member or someone coming up to you. Is there something that you always remember that really helped not only, uh, you know, put your passion in afterburner kind of mode? Well, I gotta say, first of all, I wouldn't have been able to do this if, if my wife did not support the long hours, you know, four hour driving to and from work every day, uh, you know, leaving at 5 a.m. to get home at 8 p.m. with enough time for dinner and that, you know, out, out, you know, to get a little bit of rest and then back on the road again. So Jan's, Jan's been a trooper there. Uh, we, we dated in high school. So she kind of, she kind of knew what she was getting into because I was a volunteer <laughs> firefighter in high school. And so she's been through that uh, journey with me and Manessa Fire Department, Prince George's, and now, now the foundation. And, and we're still, we're still married. So that's a good sign, you know? Um, but, you know, I think it's, when it comes to the foundation, the, the families that I meet each year and the relationships that are built when we go in and we're, we're providing their support truly on the worst day of their life. And there are family members that, you know, it, it, it's funny. Uh, Jan and I got went on vacation to Disney and we must have ran into three families down here. And she's like, come on, we're supposed to be on vacation. I said, I know. <laughs> but it's just, it, it's it's a lifelong friendships. Uh, just yesterday, we had a a training program for Fire Hero family members who are taking our peer training to, to intervene with new families. And, you know, when I got there, I, I, they'd been there for most of the day. I got there a little bit later and was going to have dinner with them. And it's like, everything stopped just to say hi and how's the kids and what's going on in your world. And it's just the extension of the fire service family. You know, when you're in the fire service, that crew that you respond with, that station cadre of people that, that you're with every day, you become part of their family and they part of yours and, you know, the kids and all the things that go on in life with, the family crisis and events and birthdays and holidays. It's the same thing with our fire hero families. Mm -hmm. They're, they're just part of our, our, our everyday life these days. And that's the piece that, that gets you going. I was, I was talking to, uh, we, we hired a company to uh, help find the next chief executive officer for the foundation. And I said, one of the things that whoever the new person is has to understand that there isn't a day that goes by for me that, that I don't either talk about or involved with the death of a firefighter. And that's just every day. That's just part of the job. And they got to understand that, you know, and there's no quitting time, you know, there's no, oh, well, you know, this is my hours of, you know, relaxation because we all know we don't know when the next fatality is going to be. We don't know when the next family crisis is going to be. And we have a big team. We have, we spread that load, but every now and then they need to uh, they need to hear from the boss, and they need to be able to understand that we're here. We're going to help them, and we'll be here for as long as they need. I mean, we're still in New York. We're still in Charleston. I'm going to West in, in a couple of weeks for the 10 year anniversary, mm -hmm. and those are the big ones. But we still do the little ones too, the individuals. And, and so it's knowing that somebody's there and they got your back. 
and and I think that that's part of the nature of the fire service to be strong, to rely on one another. I think the word is kind of the resilience related to our industry and and where we go from there. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you build that personal resilience every day of your life, touching some component of firefighter fatality? How do you how do you personally cope with that? I will joke and say a lot of alcohol. I'm just teasing. <laughs> yeah. Humor is one humor, word. yes. Um, but you know, we've got a really great team, and sometimes you just need to get around a kitchen table somewhere, you know, and have have that discussion to let let some of that out. Some 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 of that kitchen tables is mine here at my home with my wife, but I got to be cognizant of that too. But, you know, I still volunteer at my local station. I'm involved with our state fire service, uh, still teaching, still doing some, some speaking engagements. And for me, trying to take those tragedies and turning it into learning opportunities has been the biggest piece of how I deal with it. And I don't need to get into the gruesome details, but enough to say that this was a, a tragic way to, to end your life. And it's even more tragic because your families have to continue to go forward, often without the major breadwinner. And it's just heartbreaking sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you can fix it, and that goes back to me being that builder, and I'll tell you a quick story. We got a call one day from a widow who was out West and she, she didn't know what to do. She, she lived in a mobile home and the bank was foreclosing on her for $480. Like, I can't believe this. You know what I mean? But, but she says, look, I'm not looking for a hand up, but I'm just, I got to deal with this. And we said, that's exactly what we're here for. You know, we have a little bit of a fund. It's for those emergencies. We got her caught up. We then got our, local assistant state team involved. We got some other fire hero family peers to go out and help her. And, and, and we got it turned around for her. And then eventually a scholarship, you know, which led to some employment. But it, it's a tough world out there. And so when you can fix something that significant to her, but $480 to us, it's rewarding. Yeah. It really is. And it gives you the the energy to hit the next one and the next one and the next one. Yeah. I was going to say to hit that's, that's the passion drive right there. That's the afterburner, right. To keep you going, you know, and you had mentioned the, the Memorial weekend. I'm sure that that is um, a pretty, not only emotional, but also motivational uh, weekend for you. And now that has changed to the first week in May or weekend in May. And, you know, just, Tell us a little bit about, you know, what do you, what are your emotions when you go through that, and, um, you know, why the change, and 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 what what can we expect going forward? So the discussion about moving the memorial probably has just as much angst as dealing with the line of duty. That's when you get that call. Yeah. Because historically, it's always been tied to Fire Prevention Week and the Great Chicago Fire. But I can tell you, in the the 21 years that I've been there, we've had 95-degree weather where Honor Guard members are passing out. We've had rain, storms where people were drenched from sitting outside for the service to a blizzard with literally snow on the deck of the stage while we're trying to give out flags. And that's related to the Catoctin Mountains, which is where we are and the unique weather that comes through that valley. But also the bigger piece was a federal budget. Because the fire academy is a federal facility, it lives and dies by the federal budget, which supposed to start October 1st. Mm. But if there is any delay in approval of the budget and no continuing resolution, then the government shuts down. And that happened several times to us. Yeah. 
where the government shut down and we could not bring the families to the memorial to see the names of their loved one who died serving their community because they couldn't get a budget through the Capitol. And that just wasn't right. And you know, it's funny, I remember we were doing the memorial service offsite and because the campus was closed and we had forgotten some things that we needed because we literally had to move out of our offices. I mean, you're done. When they locked the gate. Can't get in. Can't get in. Yep. So we needed a couple things. And so we're at literally out there at 10 o'clock at night and the FEMA staff are handing these boxes of stuff over the chain link fence <laughs> us because they weren't allowed to open the gate. You yeah. know, it's just, it's a law. And so it's like, man, we got to fix this. And, and, and they work with us. And the fire administration has been a great partner and FEMA has as well, but it's government. And we could talk for hours about government, especially today, but we're not going to do that. No, but this is more about you. We're going to celebrate you today. So it's that those issues make it tough for the families, but that was really why Senator Sarbanes created the foundation in 92 because the memorial was built under the, um, the Reagan administration. And those first couple of years, the fire administration ran the memorial and, and they did a great job, but they had no funding. So we as a nation would invite the families to come to Emmonsburg to have their loved one honored and then say, oh, by the way, you got to pay your own way to get here, right? And, and Paul Sorbin says, this is not right, right? This is not. And so he created a foundation so we could pay for their travel and we could fundraise because the federal government can't do that. And, and then it just manifested from there. And, and so the decision was made to find another week earlier in the year. And of course, it's not like the fire service is busy. You know, there's what, 27 trade shows out there. Yeah. All right. these educational conferences and other memorial activities, law enforcement, EMS, veterans. And so we were trying to juggle the calendar and, and figured out that first weekend in May looked pretty good. And so this year we're going to move it to, to, to May. It's um, four, five, and six, I think it is. And the intent is to get away from the weather, get away from the federal government shutdowns, and uh, really make it a little bit more supportive of the families by not having to worry about those other elements. Now for us though, that's a whole big change because normally we have a year to put the memorial service together. October of last year ended, you know, we were hot on it, you know, that next week and only had six months to pull it together. But we're 33 days out. We're honoring 146 firefighters this year. And I need to talk about why that number is that high. I was going to say that that's high for a reason, correct? And and then, you know, we are looking at a different approach of tenting up on campus. Because if there's bad weather, we've been stuck in the rain, but we're tenting a portion of the campus so that we could do the memorial service right on campus, even if it's rain 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 or shine. And so that's adds to our expense. But it's adding to a better experience for the families for the families which is what what you're saying this is what why you do it right it's for exactly. the families and as much as sometimes we enjoy and we have our uh traditions right but that's part of leadership and that's part of growing and that's changing and 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 doing that and making that change we're also uh lighting up for the fire service uh that weekend correct correct um, uh, i tried to uh with a little red behind me here. A little glow there. Just on glow. fire. We're, we're doing good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's hope at least it, it took me about 30 minutes to get it on for those people that were, uh, you know, uh, before the podcast, it took me that long, but what is that about? Um, w- w- we're encouraging people, firehouses front of their porches to light up red on, uh, that weekend. Correct. Correct. And it's called light the night for fallen firefighters. And it really is a way for the general public 
people that aren't necessarily involved in the fire service to show their support of our fallen heroes. But of course, we encourage fire departments, family members, uh, anyone, businesses to uh, distinguish that day as a tribute to those fallen heroes by having a red light on, lighting their building in red. And we have some fire stations, typical firefighters, right? The yeah. whole building is bright red, just gorgeous, you know, better than a Christmas display. Uh, but we have businesses that uh, light up their high rises. We've had uh, bridges. Niagara Falls does the falls in red for us. Uh, so it's just a, a way to increase the awareness that sacrifices firefighters and their families make, but also to remember those firefighters in a different way, because that's our charge. Never forget. Yeah. And so it ties to that, and it's a series of activities that uh, really are part of the Memorial Weekend, and it, it really is a way for the general public who maybe cannot come to Emmitsburg or may not catch the satellite broadcast of the memorial service, um, that they could do something in their communities. And and it's all to remember in this year, we have the 143. You, you want to touch on why that, that number is a little bit higher Absolutely. this year. It's significant. Yeah. So, so as I said earlier, when I first started, you know, we were in the 120, 130, one year we had 150 and that, was part of that driving force to say, we've got to do something to improve the survivability of our fire service community. And so the initiatives were born uh, under the, 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 the uh, criteria that was present then. And that's a critical component. Uh, back then, uh, the criteria was related to building collapse, vehicles, you know, those kind of things, uh, the typical smoke inhalation, trauma. And that criteria was developed by the fire service community through a national gathering of the major organizations in 97. And back then we did acknowledge cardiac as an issue, even though PSOB, the Public Safety Officer Benefit Program, which does the federal death benefits for line of duty deaths of all public safety officers did not do heart attacks. But either way, we were doing heart attacks back then as well. Mm -hmm. uh, finally, it took the government a while to catch up to us with Hometown Heroes Act, and that brought in the cardiac elements. But with 9-11, it, it changed again the spectrum because the public safety officer benefit criteria says that the death has to be a direct and proximal result of an incident. So obviously you could you could build on a vehicle accident or building collapse that result of an incident. Yeah. But cancer is often cumulative. You can't say that this firefighter got this cancer at this event until 9-11. 9-11. Dr. Howard, through his work in the research, uh, put together on uh, World Trade Center disease made that connection. And now they certify that those deaths by cancer are 9-11 related and thus a direct and proximal result of the incident. <clears throat> so that opened the door to cancer, which we never did honor before. We are doing that now. And, you know, the next obvious step is, well, if 9-11 byproducts of combustion create cancer, then what's the difference between a fire in Pittsburgh or New Madison, Jersey? Wisconsin that we just had, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. right? Yeah. And, and so that allowed the foundation to honor cancers, even though PSOB is only doing 9-11, it's like the heart attacks we start, eventually they're going to catch up to us. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that added a pool of firefighters to the criteria. But then we had COVID hit and had a, a large number of firefighters, hundreds, who unfortunately died as a result of COVID. So that adds another bank of categories that we're monitoring. And then now, just recently, Congress has passed the suicide bill, yep. 
that will designate firefighters within a certain parameters their suicide to be line of duty death. So the original criteria is down in the 60s now, if you look at just them. But the rules have changed. Yeah. Yeah, so the criteria has changed. We're at yep. 140 plus names. And so we're, you know, we're trying to make sure people understand <clears throat> the initiatives still have merit. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. We're yeah, but, we're still doing our job. It's just yeah. they're changing the the realm of what what line of duty death is now, and exactly. which they, it should be done correct. Like I mean, this is these are we need to these go. are all contributory issues, especially the cancers and the the, the suicide and, and COVID even. You yeah, know? yeah, and who knows what other pandemic might be laying and waiting for us downstream. But we've got the experience of dealing with that. And I think that's going to help. But that that's why the numbers are what they are. What's the foundation's role in um, encouraging lobbying, whatever the word might be, for things like presumptive legislation? Are, do you take an active role? So the foundation is allowed to do certain types of lobbying. Uh, we're a 501c3 nonprofit, so there are certain types of lobbying we can't do, such as presidential elections, thank God. Uh, yeah, right. Or programmatic pieces that would bring direct financial gain to the nonprofit. But what we can do is lobby for things that help our industry as a whole. So we are very much involved with the Congressional Fire Services Institute. Uh, CFSI leads the charge within our industry among all of the partners, all the big organizations that, that have government affairs people. And I'm happy to say that we were able to facilitate a government affairs person on the foundation staff, Sean Carroll, who worked for Bill Webb for a while. He left with one of our corporate partners and then uh, decided he wanted to get back into the, the main fire stream of things. So we were very lucky to have Sean come on board with us. And he is kind of keeping uh, at tabs on all the legislative pieces that are out there related to presumptive cancers, you know, PFAS, I could name all these different suicide bill. Uh, we're trying to help with funding for USFA, Fire Act, SAFER. And uh, there's a group of government affairs representatives that meet on a monthly basis through coordination by CFSI to keep us all on the the, the right wavelength relative to where we need to be speaking with one voice for the betterment of our industry. Yeah. And so I, I'm going to summarize this a little bit, because this is uh, for, for a lot of us in the fire service, I've, I've been in now 20 years and, you know, I always thought this is stuff that national and triple F always did, right? Like, Hey, we're, not only are, do we honor those that we lost, but we fight to uh, help on legislature and fight to, to, um, prevent. But when you first started, you're sitting, you're leaning up against the file cabinet with three people and all you really were responsible for, or, and I shouldn't say it that way, but all we were, and Triple F was doing was just trying to honor those we lost. And here you are 20 years later, you're telling us that not only you have the Fire Hero Learning Network, by the way, firehero.org is a great part of this. Everyone goes home. We'll list all this in the show notes. Um, I've personally done a lot of those courses. They're, they're tremendous assets. Uh, we are talking about lobbying for, uh, uh, you know, safer fire service and to, uh, look at, um, you know, other health issues that face the fire service. You're working with some of the top organizations within the fire. Like, do you ever just stop back and go, holy cow, right? Like we, we mentioned this a little bit before, but now as we, we get into this a little more and we, we really dig like un unbelievable stuff, chief, you know, I, I just got to say, thanks. Because my vision or my impression of what NFFF is, is what it is now. And over the last 20 years, this thing has just really springboarded because of you. Um, you know, so on that note, though, what's next then? What do, you, what, do you, what do you envision for your own self now after you built this thing? Come up for air a little bit, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 
I teased earlier and say, you know, I, I've got to decide what I'm going to be when I grow up here. Um, and, and I'm not sure. I, I know it'll have some fire involvement in some way. Uh, sure, you know, probably everybody becomes a consultant um, yeah. in this industry. Uh, you know why consultants make so much money? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, because nobody knows what they do, right? That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, I got some personal things. I have a small horse farm, uh, just 10 acres, not big, uh, just east of here. That um, at the, I needed a place to keep my, my fire trucks. Um, I have a collection of old fire trucks. That's so right. I bought yeah. a little farm and put a, put a pole building up. And uh, I love to do, you know, parades. Uh, we're doing the, uh, my neighborhood, we're going to do the Bunny Brigade. I have a 54B model Mac that we tore the tank out and has a big open deck in the back. So the Easter Bunny is going to go to every neighborhood in, in a week here where I live. Uh, they'll just take it all day. They'll just be making rounds. But we do St. Patrick's Day parades in Annapolis, Ocean City, stuff like that. It's I like to tinker with the old trucks. And so it's it's an avenue to do that. But also, I like to farm. I, I, I have a couple of horses. I grow my own hay. Uh, you know, for me, I, the, the, the summer is about when I got a cut in Val Hay. I do it myself. Uh, get out there on the tractor, leave the cell phone, leave the laptop, and out there for five, six hours just cutting, raking, balling, tetting. And then into the barn it goes. And so, you know, it's interesting when you're on a tractor and you're bailing hay and you look behind you and you can see the bells just in rows. Yep. I did something today. You know what I yeah. mean? We don't always right. see our outcomes, especially successful ones, right away. So that that has something that I like to, to talk about is, you know, you know you've done something today. That's work, but there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But I'm um, still the, the treasurer for the state fire service. I'll probably continue playing with that a little bit. Um, I don't know. See where the journey takes me. But I do believe when a door closes and another opens and, you know, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll do podcasts with you guys. That hey, would... you're more than welcome anytime. I say it to every really interesting guest that we have. We, we'd love to have you back and ask a little bit more. Uh, you know, we didn't talk as, as much about health and wellness that we could get into and, uh, we can get into a lot of different stuff, Chief, but uh, we have we do have one more thing we need to do with you is we put our guests in what we call the hot seat, where we ask some you know quick kind of elevator questions where we like to know a little bit more, and they are sometimes a little quirky. Sometimes they come from my mom, from Janelle's mom, from my crew, uh, from our listeners. So um, you know, again, thanks for everything you've done for us in the fire service. But we still got one, a couple more questions. I think Janelle's got a great one to lead it off with. Sure. All right, Chief. I'm just wondering, we talked just a little bit about your apparatus collection. What's your favorite apparatus? Are you, can you pick a favorite? Is that like picking a favorite child? Oh, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, the one that I'm looking forward to doing the most with is the 1929 Model T Ford. Okay. And uh, it, I just got it recently. But um, it's the most unique. Uh, it, 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 it's got a completely different driving mechanism. So you got to really understand how it works. But I just, it's a convertible, you know, just, just go out and do. We've tried to do a couple parades, but we've had some mechanical issues. But all, all the apparatus has some story. My, my oldest pumper, my dad rode as a volunteer firefighter. And I found it in a barn in, in West Virginia. Um, the oh, ladder wow. truck that I have is College Parks. Known as the Goose, the Peter Persh, that's the first truck I rode in my career as a career firefighter. So the vehicles have some, some meaning to it, you know. Uh, yeah. I, have a, I have a 31 Model A that I turned into a Chiefs car that I got through the Charleston involvement with us in the Charleston Fire Department. I bought it. I, it wasn't a gift. <laughs> but the chief down there had it. His dad had it and was looking for a home. And it looks like a D.C. Fire Department chief's car from the 30s. 
So there's a whole story there we could spend hours talking about. Yeah, we can bring you back just for that. I know. We've got to do a whole show. We we dragged four or five at least, maybe six, Annapolis and Mission City are the two biggest parades we do. And we invite anybody that wants to come out, come on for that, have some fun, ride the rigs, do a little socializing. If you got any extra lights, you can throw them my way. I need help with my uh, red light back here, Chief. Just uh, I'll work yeah. on that. Well, we'll All see right. what we got them on the shelf at the barn. So you have interesting. Would you be willing? Oh, real quick, Aaron. Would you be, Chief? Would you be willing to share some photos of yeah. your apparatus? Absolutely. I got. I got that. I'll send it to you. That would be great. I'm sure our listeners would love to see some photos of this yeah uh that's always well I, I won't say that's fire porn but it is it's fire engine porn and we love that stuff right uh, but you you know you mentioned you have all these interesting fire engines my question is what's the or who is the most uh interesting person that you had a chance to work with or meet through your your last 20 year journey here oh my goodness uh, there are so many people that that influenced me along the way i, I guess the I guess the one that made the decision for me to be here was Hal Bruno. Uh, I've had three great chairmans that I've worked for, Hal Bruno, Denny Compton, and now Troy Markle. But it was Hal Bruno who saw whatever he saw in me to say, you're the guy. And and that's the story real quick. I I was at the 20-year mark in Prince George's. The chief always serves at the pleasure of the executive. A new executive was coming in, and I just didn't think it was right that you know you give twenty years of your life, and just because the politics changed, you got to submit a letter of resignation. So I said, I'm going to get ahead of this. <laughs> I'm going to go find me a job before they ask me to go. So I read, I read the firehouse was looking through the magazine, and there was an advertisement for the position, and I thought this would be a great way for me to re-enter the job search market because I hadn't done it in 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, I hadn't gone through, yeah, the promotional process, but that's different. But I never tried to find a job from scratch. So I filled out a letter of intent, sent in my resume, and mailed it off. Well, at the same time, I decided to run for treasurer for IFC. So we're out in Dallas. I'm campaigning to be the next treasurer for IFC. And Hal Bruno calls me up. And I knew Hal because he was a volunteer in Montgomery County, which adjoins Prince George's. And I'd been a PIO, so I dealt with the media. Hal Bruno had a lot to do with the media world in D.C. And Hal says to me, Ron, you want to leave Prince George's? I said, well, Hal, it's not that I want to leave, but here's why Mm -hmm. and all that. He says, okay, well, if you want the job, it's yours. That was it. That was the whole interview. That was it. If you want the job. But he knew me. And and so if he did not have that trust in me and that knowledge of me, I don't know where I'd be today. Yeah. You know, somewhere else, probably. But I mean, there's been so many people, Charlie Dickinson, I get Dave Paulson, so many people that have helped influence me along the way. Um, that that there are just hundreds and hundreds of people. But I think that's part of our industry is is to do what we can to help us get better at what we're doing. And when you got a cause like the foundation, it does make it easier. Yeah. Well, better every shift, better every day, right? Better exactly. because of the people around us, right? Yeah. Exactly. All right. Next question up. I want to know, do you have a favorite life safety initiative of the 16? Oh, my goodness. I know that's a tough well, one, right? You know, I think I think the reality is there are so many good ones. The one that'll have the most impact, I think, is the one related to sprinklers and codes and the prevention side of our industry. And that goes back to the 9-11 experience. You know, yeah, we're going to honor, but if we could prevent it. And Prince George's was was in the middle of that fight for residential sprinklers. I was on the staff with Chief Eastep yeah. when you know we went toe to toe with the realtors and everybody else. And so, for me, it's been a continued journey in my career. My thesis for my executive fire officer was on sprinklers, 
you know, the, the whole bit, um, that they are the answer. The problem is there's costs. And, and then there's the politics with the builders and the realtors and insurance companies and all those other pieces. But uh, everyone is special. Let me, let me state that for the yeah. record. Right. They are. Because they, I think you can go on and on for each one. You can make a, a, a great argument. Um, and, and speaking of that, now there's so many different ways you can go with the life safety initiatives. This next question, I know we're going to, I, I try to stump every, every guest. So here is uh here's your final hot seat question. And we double, kind of jeopardy? Say, double jeopardy right here. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? I'm going to go back to the statement. My parents said, leave it better than how you found it. I truly believe that if, if everyone took that in to their thought process, even just a little bit better, the world will be a better place. Yeah, that's perfect. Any other uh, last embarking um, advice you have to those listening, you know, and our, our listeners, again, our whole thing is just trying to be better every single day, which you talked about and, and building a foundation, make it better. You know, any last uh kind of parting words of wisdom? I guess um, for me, it's critical that we help the group that's coming behind us, that we lay a foundation of support and not blockage. How many times I've been in a firehouse and I see a, a, a younger member with an idea who just gets shot down in front of the whole crew well actually it's not a bad idea <laughs> and right. then somebody steals it and runs with it you know what i mean we have to be open and supportive and not be threatened by those that come behind us and i i think you know i always talk about succession planning and that that's a little bit so formal but you know, you got to take somebody under your wing somewhere along the way. You got to be somebody's wingman or wingwoman, and and help. And for me, that's the real reward is to see some, especially now, you know, in a volunteer firehouse again after, you know, fifty years. Um, some of the younger kids that are coming in, and you, you try to give them some advice and some guidance, and they're going to do some things that you probably say, well, is that really the smartest thing? And they're going to say no, but they learn. But you try to help them. And, you know, it's good. Like today, I'll be honest, this morning I got up. I was going to work here. Pager goes off. I got a barn fire. Went down to the firehouse, drove the engine, set up the tanker supply, uh, and had a young guy with me. And I was showing him the pumps. And, you know, we filled two tankers, and then we came home. So <laughs> that's, that's, a full day. that's a great day. And um, – and I really appreciate what not only I, I personally want to thank you because I've had some some great involvement with you and NFFF and and the the FRCE and um, you know you are truly you know someone who is, has left the fire service better you've left the foundation better and you know not only for me, me personally but I, I I want to try to speak for a lot of us in the fire service thank you for all you've done and um, you know you, like you said you're not going away you'll still be around. Uh, and, and maybe should I make a plea? If anybody's got some consulting, they, they want chief to come in on, um, I'll I'm, only take... <laughs> yeah. well, I'm worried about Janelle, you know, keeping me busy on the advisory board a little bit too. So I see that. Oh yeah. I've got stuff lined up for you. I see that coming down the road. Well, yeah, don't worry. She's, she takes notes and you're going to get about another three or four days and then she's going to email you with some suggestions. Um, I, I so, so thanks again, Chief. Uh, truly appreciate the stories. Appreciate the all your efforts and and um, and your wisdom. And and uh, for all of all of you that are listening, uh, please email us your thoughts on this at better every shift at firerescue1.com. Rate and review the show. And if you're listening to this, uh, remember you can watch the video version uh, on the show of on YouTube and firerescue1.com. But most importantly, everyone, and I think Chief said it best. You want to try to learn something, do something, and share something to make you and those around you better every shift. When safety is top priority, you need more than a radio. Meet the XL Extreme 400P, tailor-made to meet the most rigorous fire standards. 
This radio withstands blasts of heat up to 1,700 degrees and repeated three meter drops. Built with material from both their space division and their tactical comms, this is one tough radio you're going to need. Schedule your demo today. Visit www.l3harris.com forward slash contact hyphen us.